A quick editor's note on this episode. Marty is a several-generation farmer, and as such, he doesn't have necessarily the best audio equipment at home. He does cut out occasionally, but I think you can gather what you can from context clues, and I spent some time cleaning up his audio as well. It's a good interview, but more importantly, it's a timely interview because we did this recording shortly after the October 27th and 28th meeting, and now it's the month of December, and we've recently had kind of an update to the Wolf rulemaking petition that was denied in that meeting. Basically, the anti-hunting groups who put it forth in the first place and got rejected have now went to the governor to appeal to try and have him override that. In the process of doing so, they've also made some pretty serious allegations of hunter intimidation towards the commission and to other people who showed up to testify. Now, I think that those accusations are fairly baseless, but I'm doing a more thorough investigation and I'm going to do a bonus episode where we discuss that in detail. So keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, here's Marty Hall. Welcome to the Hunter Farmer Artisan Podcast. My name is Ryan Garrett. I will be your host today. I am very excited to have Columbia County Commissioner Marty Hall on the line. Marty, welcome to the show. Hi, Ryan. Yeah, good morning. It is wonderful to have you online. I was put in touch with you, not necessarily because of the commission seat that you hold, but because of your relationship with the WDFW, the commission, and just your perspectives as a rancher and a generational farmer. And I'd love to just start by introducing you and who you are, what you're about. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm Marty Hall. I've I've lived quite near Columbia County my entire life. I've lived in it now since we moved up here in 05 from actually just across the county line in Walla County down by Lyons Ferry. But I'm married to uh, my wife, Eileen, who is, who is number four in a line of five daughters. Um, and so when the opportunity came, when her dad wanted to retire and the opportunity uh, arose for me to farm his place, I was, I was thrilled to do that. So yeah, this, as far as uh, generational and historical history of of a relationship with the game department <clears throat> it's uh it's more about about him my father-in-law don howard than it is about me um in fact if you'll indulge me just a minute or two um oh, his I'd family to hear about him yeah yeah his family um let's see four generations before him i think i have that right homesteaded up uh, cummins creek and if okay if any of your listeners are familiar if any of your listeners are at all familiar with toucan they're familiar with cummins creek and and they homesteaded up there next, next um, adjacent to the Donahue family, which ironically we still neighbor them down here on the on the mid Buchanan where we're at now. But in the '40s, and they didn't live up there anymore. I'm not sure how long they lived up there, but it's kind of interesting if you hike up there. Um, there's there's still um, apple trees and some evidence of of life at both of those homestead sites, but. Um, in the early 40s, in fact, I think it was in 43 or 44, so it was in the uh, towards the end of the Second World War, um, the game department bought that land, and my father-in-law, and it somehow got lost in the shuffle, but for years he had a letter that was written on behalf of the Howard family by, I can't remember who, I believe it was a, believe it was a state uh, representative to the game department saying that, that basically if the Howards didn't sell, it was going to be a taking by the game department of their homestead land up Cummins Creek, where they uh, wintered 
workhorses and cattle. Okay. And anyways, the the game department bought it, and it's now and it's now part of their uh, some ground they put together for winter elk habitat, and it does winter some elk. But other than that, there's no game up. I mean, in mm-hmm. the last uh, n- none is not an accurate statement, but there's there's very very little. I've hunted up there a couple times, and and if you see a deer, it's amazing. You're very uh, lucky. Yeah, and it used to be, you know, go up there and take your picket deer. So that's that's frustrating. Yeah, and that seemed to be one of the things you wanted to talk about. Um, you actually showed up to the uh, most recent Fish and Wildlife Commission meeting to testify, and I was there as well, and I really appreciated you doing it because anytime a public figure does that, it's very helpful. But one of the things you discussed is that all the game is, in at least in your area, pretty much on private land. And you've got yeah. some theories about that as to why. Yeah, yeah, that that's a fact. Um, at least, like I said, I as I said this in the meeting. You know, my my lifestyle and my job keeps me pretty close from home to home. So all I can speak about is the area I'm familiar with, which is you know my my corner of the state here down in Clemmie County. Um, and the game department up to Tucannon owns quite a bit of land. The with the exception of 160 acres that my father-in-law and his brother own in an area called cow camp um the game department or the forest service owns the entirety of the upper part of the two cannon from about milepost 22 um to the end of it to till it hits the wilderness up around godman and the that area of cow camp was they way back howard and the family called the lows from starbuck had had a grazing lease in the two cannon before the wilderness and whatnot came in and they actually rode out of cow camp it was there was a barn and a cabin and a corral and that's where they gathered cows from and don lowe sold it to my father-in-law and uh, uh, his brother gerald on the condition that they never ever sell it to the government and uh, they sold it to the right people because they will never ever sell it to the government so it's kind of a kind of a thorn in the side of it's 160 acres in the middle, or about 170, uh, in the middle of Forest Service and Game Department lands. So, but so they they've taken away at least here locally. There are no, as I mentioned at the commission meeting, there are no public land grazing leases in Columbia County. Okay. So there are areas in the state where they're dabbling with Game Department grazing leases, but they make them. There's a lot of rules to follow, and the people I know that have tried it, it's just not worth it. But just a bit of a headache it is yeah so if you don't go in and and with cattle or sheep or unfortunately fire which we've seen a lot of uh the last several years if you don't go in periodically and and remove the old grasses and and clean out the brush which livestock do quite well um then you know the feed becomes becomes old and stale and 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 it uh isn't appealing anymore to the to the game and so even before you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have wolves here. <clears throat> the The cougar population was not near what it is now. Um, but even so, even before the predators were so thick back in the in the forest um, and in the private land, the game all lived right on the. You know, they might go hide in the forest, but they're coming out in the ag land to eat. So yeah, the private land here regionally has historically grown the bulk of the game. The game for anybody just makes the accusation that you are just maybe some hobby farmer with an opinion uh how much acreage do you farm yeah so our um dryland pasture which you know you don't farm it it's real the two cannons real steep and rocky there's 
we have about 3,000 acres of that. And then the irrigated stuff in the bottom, uh, my son and I, between my father-in-law's place and some stuff that we own and some stuff that we lease, uh, we do about 500 acres and we do some custom paying. So yeah, it's a, it's a full-time gig for us. Oh yeah. I mean, I just run 80 myself and probably only about 35 of that is in hay and that's yeah. enough to keep me busy. I don't know how, because <laughs> yeah. it's just you and another person. And I, I just don't understand the scale of the work that you do. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah but, uh... I, I know enough to know that it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, uh vacations in the summertime do not happen in my world no. and they never have so that's okay. no no i like I, I don't know about you but i'm kind of looking forward to winter uh i don't I, anymore the older i get i don't necessarily look forward to the cold but i look forward to the shorter days to the little bit less work yeah it's nice to get home and and uh, even after 38 years my wife still likes to see me once in a while yeah right that's that's funny so i wanted to talk a little bit about the uh the recent vote that the commission took to deny the wolf petition that was kind of supported by some anti-hunting groups and i'm I'm very glad that that happened did you happen to listen to any of that discussion no actually believe it or not the day saturday of the meeting i went elk hunting which is ironic that they have those meetings on things like the elk opening the elk opening or the last day of rifle it does seem like historically there's been a lot of examples where the most important meetings where they're discussing those things that are really impactful to hunters like spring bear season or the the game management plan or the conservation policy, like those are things that are huge ticket items and, and they seem to just always be during rifle season. You never see that happen in the summer when hunters have some extra time on their hands to actually show up. Yeah. I imagine. So no, I didn't know. I didn't uh, fill me in what happened. Okay. So here's the good news. The, the commission did vote to reject the petition from that anti-hunting group. The WDFW staff didn't, excellent job of explaining how our wolf management policies work in Washington and how they're actually working fairly well as they currently stand when you compare them to other states. Would you agree that the way we do wolves in this state is probably a little bit better than most other states? Well, it has, as I mentioned, when I testified there before the commission, when when it does come down to a lethal take, it has seemed to be effective. Mm. Frustrating for producers, and I've not had any, I've yet to see a wolf. I've seen some tracks, um, and I know they're around. I have I have access to the data. They're, they're around me all the time. I've just not run into one, but and we've not had any depredation. But I know, I have neighbors who have. It's frustrating the length of time and, and the concrete evidence that it takes to prove that it was, in fact, a wolf kill. So they'll tell you, you know, it's not illegal for a wolf to eat a dead cow. How do you prove that she killed the cow or they killed the cow? But once they have proven that um, and done a lethal take, which has happened a couple of times in Columbia County, it has been effective. All on it private land, happened, not public. All hundred percent private, hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's the. They're getting tired of hearing me beat that drum, but, and I don't. I have I have friends and and fellow commissioners up in the northeastern part of the state where it's not on private land, and they've just been just been raped by the by wolves, you know, the, a lot of the grazers up there. And I don't mean to betray them. Um, but because I think, I think grazing, um, federal land is hugely important. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a no brainer to me. 
when it happens on private land, you know, land that people like my father-in-law's grandpa and and my and my father-in-law's, you know, sacrificed to keep, and and I and my son now sacrificed to keep. It's not easy to make a living on the land and pay taxes on that, you know, and then produce an income and contribute to our local economies all on private land. And then something, you know, that we didn't ask for makes that more difficult and more expensive. It's very, very. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and, and the reason why I bring that up is because, and I was trying to find which agency put it out this morning, but one of the, the anti-hunting groups, I want to say it was Washington wildlife first at some point, put out a study that was talking about where they, they ask a very loaded question to people and, and then they use that as their example. Well, people don't support this. And the loaded question was something to the effect of, do you support the lethal removal of a wolf when ranchers are grazing their cattle on public land near an open met den site and having done nothing to, to prevent wolf depredation? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's that's actually I'm probably combining like three different questions, but they all come with those load loaded terms that say that you guys are inviting disaster. That. There's a reason they hire professional companies to do surveys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I kind of want to go into that a little bit. Like what what do you guys do as a whole? What does your what does the ranching community do to prevent depredation loss sure. so and it depends you know so we we don't do i have i have some neighbors um the broughton land and cattle company they're a long-standing um ranching i'm going to say family but there's it's been long enough now there's no family members working on the ranch anymore but um i get that they've had some, they've had some serious losses and and received compensation from from the department um but they've had they had really good data on on um how it had affected historical weaning weights and and conception rates and and whatnot. So that's oh, just the pressure. Yeah, yeah, just mm. the moving, the moving around and and uh, yeah. Um, but so the, at the bare minimum, when when wolves were first was first obvious that that wolves were going to be part of our landscape, the bare minimum is to not have a boneyard. So any any dead to remove or bury them, and they have never. I've never asked them to do this, but the game department will come and get them and take them to the land. Okay. But I typically just bury them. That's a lot of work. It is, depending on where they die. Yeah, yeah. well, and when. Yeah, yeah. Because in the winter, that's no fun. Yeah, well, we have a backhoe, but still it could be no fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, sometimes, you know, if they die out in the pasture, and sometimes it's just not possible. It's, you know, we don't have death loss all the time, but it happens. Yeah, Sometimes you're gonna have livestock. You're gonna have dead dead stock at some that point. That's just yep. way of it. Yeah. Uh, so that I mean, you have to you have to uh, have used at least two different uh, deterrents, and one is the two most common are are your presence on the landscape. So at just least being they, there. Yeah, to be out in to be out in your kill, which depending on you and you know there are those who'll say we should do that anyway. And at, there's times of the year when yes, good, but um, there's times that and um, yeah. And then you know the game department will bring out fox lights, um, which I equate those to if you're old enough to remember Kmart and the blue light specials, 
I equate those to the blue light special that put put the light up. Here's here's where the food's at. I actually used one of those last year. Game department lent lent me one because I was having some serious loss issues with my poultry flock on uh, with bobcats. Yeah. I mean, I was Bob's Bobcat Grand Central Station. I had to lethally remove three of them. And I still had just an absurd amount of Bobcats on the property. Most of them were pretty good actors. Obviously, the ones I I lethally removed were the ones that were in my chicken coop. So I'm pretty sure I got the right one. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, those those lights, the, the way they work for the listeners who haven't been informed by them is they basically emit a flashing light of various colors and also various times. And you're also supposed to like move them around. So they're never in the same place because animals don't like things that are different. Right. And I would love to look at some, some studies on those lights. I do think they help a little bit with pushing predators around, at least from what I could see though, you know, I've got the little bit of, I don't exactly have a clean study since I killed the three bobcats that were a problem. Yeah. But I do have evidence on it very much seemed to not only move the uh, predators around, but it did also move the ungulates around. They didn't like it either. Mm. So, you know, I'd love to see some studies to see, well, does this do those lights also segment habitat? Because we always look at these things like, oh, we've got this piece of technology. It works for this. That solves the problem. But we forget that technology usually also brings other problems into relief. But anyway, uh, I digress. What are some of the other deterrents? Well, there's um, and and some of these get more difficult, particularly like if you're grazing forest or up in the up in the hills. But they'll have you put flattery around, which is basically a ring with flags on it um, around. And that works. I mean, that's that's a little more conceivable to do, like if you're cabin, cabin heifers, you know, in a yeah, and you're in a smaller area, so you don't have to cover miles of flagging yeah. tape. Yeah, yeah. And then um, range riders, either either your own, you know, the department has has a, a program where they'll where they'll provide a range rider if they can find one, and that can be a person um, on a four wheeler or a horse, or you know, just randomly being out in the cow. Um, or you can you can do that yourself, and they'll reimburse, um, which is, you know, I have mixed emotions about that about that program because it could be abused. Um, mm. uh, yeah, you know, I'm I I don't look at the at our local game department folks as they, um, at least until they prove to me. And I I've had this conversation. I sit on the. I sit on the elk uh, calf mortality study group um, that they're doing here in the blues. They're in year three of tolerant elk calves, and you're probably familiar with that study. And, and oh, yeah. then, um, yeah, and then following up, you know what what they died from. And I sit on that group, and and um, and I tell them, you know, so it's that group is made up of four different county commissioners, one each from Walla Walla, Stoughton, Garfield, and uh, Columbia counties. And then each of those commissioners has a has a citizen or landowner that sits on on you know from their area that sits on it with them. And one of them, um, the Thoughton County's guy, is an ex commission member, Jay Holtzmiller. Okay. And his input and and one of the Walla Walla uh, commissioner, hers is an ex an ex uh, department biologist. 
that power. So there's there's some uh, there's some educated people from both sides that sit on that. But I always tell them that you know I'm the anomaly in that group. Yes, I'm a sportsman. Um, I'm a rancher first, and my my main thing with uh, my main rub with the with the wolves is the fact that it's going to make it more difficult for me and my fellow ranchers to make a living. The rest of them are probably sportsmen first. And then, and there's a couple other ranchers on them, but there's, there's sportsmen first, sportsmen first, which is great. But anyways, uh, I, and I, at the last time we met, you know, I told, I told our local people, which is that I won't, I won't call them all out by name, but it's, uh, uh, there was a couple biologists and, uh, and then a couple of, um, spokesmen, so to speak, regional, regional folks. And I told them, you're not my enemy. Um, you, you are between us and the commission and what, what I want to find is, are you pushing with us towards the commission or are you pushing with the commission back towards us? And if you're pushing with the commission back towards us, then you're my enemy. But if you, if we truly do all want the same thing, you know, which is a, which is a um, healthy, active population of most specifically deer and elk, then, then we can work together. So, I mean, I truly look at it that way that our, our problem for better or worse lies with the commission. And our challenge is to find, as you know, yours as well, and our mutual friend Clarence, um, he works really hard at it. We have to find a way to be effective in, in changing the commission find or direction. That's our challenge, and it's not easy. No, it's, a, it's definitely an uphill battle. I think this weekend really kind of at least demonstrated that hunters will show up that we can be the reasonable people in the room that we can be prepared yeah. and that we are are much more permanently engaged in this process than they think i thought that i really think that the commission thought that their decision with spring bear would blow over at some point uh in fact uh, i believe it was commissioner baker who said you know i wish we could get through an hour-long conversation um about anything without spring bear coming up and it's that whole <laughs> like my thought was on that was like imagine cheating on somebody and having that never come up again yeah you yeah. know and for the frustrating worse, thing about the are, spring bear was was all of their all of their own people you know their biologists and everybody said no it's not going to hurt the bear population it's a good idea for this reason this reason this reason and they said no that that's the frustrating part of spring bears they ignored their own intent yeah, I think I think the that it's it's two pronged. It's that they ignored their intel for that piece of it, which they brought up a bunch of basically social reasons to cancel the hunt, yeah. which yeah. were never publicly displayed to us. And then when we basically had them re-review that, they came up with other reasons like, oh, well, we don't have the science to support the the various other management objectives. And you brought up the Blue Mountains. And the Blue Mountains are an, an area where it makes total sense to have a spring bear hunt because one of the calf mortality issues that we're having is with bears. Bears are hammering the elk hard in the blues. And the first if you were week to, or two of their life, they slurp them up like candy. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's that whole, like, I don't have a problem with the bears. I want bears on the landscape. I want cougars on the landscape. I even want wolves on the landscape. It's, that's why I moved to Northeast Washington. I wanted to live in a place where 
there were animals on the landscape, including grizzlies, that could complicate things. I, I don't even have like a good way to describe it. It's what it, like I love bears. I also love hunting bears. It's just it's it's hard to to put into words why it's so important that I be in the woods with those things. Um, because if if there were only deer and elk in the woods, I I feel like the woods would feel sterile or incomplete. Yeah, sure. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and Ryan and I touched on this a little bit um, when I testified before the commission. Um, we're also part of the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent, and and uh, and a, and a, a valued management tool. I mean, uh, you know, we're we're uh, directed to be stewards of the creation and uh i take that very seriously as well and and part of that is you know they're they're uh, they're here for our benefit animals from from elk right down to to the chickens that the tyson raises that we all go to the deli and buy uh, even myself i occasionally buy chickens <laughs> i get it like i'm i try to mostly do my own hunted meat or stuff that I've slaughtered myself, but I understand that, you know, there's yeah. times to not be dogmatic about things. Yeah. So that just makes sense to me, but no, you're, you know, I absolutely agree with you that I approach it from a more um, pragmatic side that every, every creature on the planet can have some sort of biological role to play. Sure. And I think humans uh, our biological role can be that of a steward, or to put it a different way, a symbiotic predator, the kind of predator that actually helps aid in the promulgation or the continuance of the species that we utilize, as sure. well as try to just keep healthy ecosystems in general. I think we can do that. And I think that's our responsibility, just because we have the ability to have such a a hard effect on the landscape and it's it's funny that that comes up because that was something that uh, commissioner rowland said this last weekend was talking about how humanity has like such an amazing impact on the landscape and we need to do things about that and i was thinking to myself she's sitting on the wrong commission seat because yeah. i don't think that hunting and and the regulation of hunting is in the top 10 things that you could do to help wildlife and ecosystems like be on a city planning board instead yeah <laughs> or a land use board instead because if we can control habitat segmentation as opposed to like what species i'm allowed to hunt i think you're going to have a way bigger impact because humans are the biggest impact factor on everything Sure. So I don't know why you would choose, if that's the case, why you would choose to regulate the 3% of hunters or the 3% of the population that's out there rather than the other 97. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The whole, but, you know, the salmon thing is a completely other, another subject, you know, but our, so I live in an area where, where agriculturally, uh, our livelihood depends on those four snake river dams. For everything from portable uh, green power to um, transportation of ag products, um, and they're they're using salmon fuel to 
try to remove the Snake River dams when, um, you know, even the, like I said, it's a completely different subject and we don't have to get off in the weeds, but the, the runs on the, there are rivers on the west side that flow directly into the ocean without any effective dams whatsoever that are also, the runs are down on. Them. So it's not, if it was the dams, the fish would have been extinct, extinct along. It's frustrating. We have everything from, from raw sewage being dumped into Puget Sound um, to, uh, you know, I have a good friend that, that loves to fish and uh, he's given up on steelhead completely and he fishes just for walleye because he says, hey, I can go catch walleye. Well, mm -hmm. the, guess what? The walleye are getting fat on uh, baby salmon and steelhead. So uh, gotcha. walleye, they, they, no one had ever even dreamt of catching a walleye in the Snake River 30 years ago. And now he can catch 25 or 30 a day. Nice. So anyways, I said, I'm, I didn't, I told you I wouldn't drag us off in the weeds. But. No, I get it. And it's interesting because no, you bring up a really good point that we as humanity have a society that we're, we're trying to build and we have things that we need to do in order to do that. And the question that I think it always comes down to in when it comes to ecosystem management is where does the balance lie? What makes the most sense to do? Does damming hurts the salmon populations and hurts the rivers? And, and, you know, some would definitely argue that that's the case. There's some scientific evidence to that effect. And some other people would say, well, it's not that bad. And there's ways around that to like help mitigate that damage. You know, the, the, the question comes down to is what we're getting out of it worth the cost? And how can we make that cost something that we as human beings pay as much as possible rather than externalize that out to the the various species that are out there and that's i don't know that's probably a significantly more complex question to answer on a 45 minute podcast it is very complex yeah there's a lot of a uh, lot of different directions in that yeah I, I would, I mean, I, I maintain though that the power alone, we can't live lifestyle that we all like. I mean, I, it's 24 degrees outside right now and it's about 70 in my house and I want to keep it that way. You're lucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it takes power to do that. You know, it's and, about, and, it's a, it's about 12 where I'm at right ooh, now and windy ooh, and yeah. yeah, I live in a really cold Valley Yeah, <laughs> and I'm, I'm very thankful for my wood stove. Yeah. Yeah. And and that, by the way, is how I heat my house. I don't use electricity. I have like wall heaters that I try very much not to use because I think they're a fire hazard, but they were there because the insurance wanted them or the county building code wanted them or whatever. But um, no, I use a wood stove, which means I have to go get trees knocked down every year to heat myself. Well, which one's more efficient? Would it be more efficient for me to go utilize dam energy to heat my house would it would nuclear be a better solution i mean like i don't think we have a power solution yet that doesn't come at some ecological cost no we don't i don't the think question we is, which one do we want to pay yeah <laughs> like... well here's what i maintain a gallon of water in lewiston idaho is going to generate electricity seven times before it gets to the before it gets to the yeah, and then it's you know then it's going to come back up, get dumped in the mountains, and do it again. So that's pretty dang. Yeah, renewable since they're already built. Yeah. yeah, no, I I agree with that. I think anything that we can do that is renewable, that again, that if there's ways we can offset the biological costs, then sure. cool, I'm great with that. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I certainly think that's a lot more sustainable than burning fossil fuels. Cause like at some point we are going to run out of those. Um, yeah. you know, there's, there's only so much in it. It's the, it's the regeneration rate, right? It takes a lot longer, like even just heating my home, it, it's a lot faster to grow a tree than to spend millions of years compressing down swamps into oil. Yeah. yeah. So it's the, it's the, it's the rate at which we get it back. Like technically, yeah, fossil fuel could be a renewable resource resource if we used it incredibly slowly, which we're not. Yeah. So yeah, we are going to need to swap over to things like hydroelectric, electric, wind, solar. Um, oh. I think nuclear is probably something we're going to have to do as an, in it'd be nice if we used it only as an interim solution while we were coming up with better ways to do power, but yeah, you know, oh, nuclear is wonderful as long as there's not a problem <laughs> when there's a problem, it's, it's bad, but uh, well, nuclear. that's why I say interim. And of course, as we do that, we are generating an issue that we have to deal with for, um, you Ever. know, <laughs> yeah, like longer than we're willing to do. And, and most yeah. of our stuff breaks down in 50 to 25 years, which isn't even like a percent of the the amount of time that we would need to deal with nuclear waste so yeah i mean there are obviously there is problems with just about everything that we have today but just in closing here i i just wanted to talk about the reason why i had you on is because i'm kind of transitioning uh away slightly from the people who are really engaged in the fight and and i don't even mean that because you are engaged but slightly away from, I guess, just the hunting only perspective to the other people who are affected by these decisions. And if you were to like rattle off your top three things that you would like to see the commission improve at, what would those be? You know, the, the fact that they're, I, I'm not a fan of our governor and the fact that um, he has, the full power to appoint people to that board and and uh uh you know has turned it over in his in his time there he has turned it over to a very left-wing board um i'd like to see that i agree by the way i i feel like it was designed to be a um the the way it was supposed to be comprised was designed to create a moderate commission just based on having to appoint yeah. from the different areas but when you have one person who makes those picks and they decide that they're going to lean the commission a certain way, it's really easy for them to do do that. So I, I don't think that's a good design. I agree with yeah, you. I don't either. So the, I like the idea that they come from regions. Name me, name me another wing of government, which they're a wing of government, um, that has say over how tax dollars are spent that's not accountable to um, the taxpayers through elections. The Supreme Court, yeah, the Supreme Court, um, <laughs> which we have major other, battles out about examples. every single time for a reason, because the way that the way that process is conducted is a little bit screwy too. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, I think anytime you have the appointment process where they can influence policy so heavily in regions that really don't get a say in that subject, it's because you know you have. One way or another, 
you look at Washington State, the the who's going to sit in that governor's seat's really decided by a couple of key voting areas, and those very yeah, those areas lean a certain way. Yeah. But then, if that gets translated over to, hey, here's how you over on the east side who really doesn't doesn't have a say in it here's how you deal with cougar problems mm-hmm. when we don't have cougars over in seattle here's how you deal with this like i yep. i liken it to i shouldn't really have a say in seattle sewage policy like yep. that's that's their jam they can fix yep. they can figure that problem out or or land use in urban areas i don't know like that's your that's your deal but over here I I live with the wolves. I live with cougars. I live with bears. I should have a say because those yeah. the decisions about that impact me more than they do somebody who lives in Olympia or lives in Washington or in uh, Seattle. My uh, my daughter and her husband and and my little granddaughter they live just down the road from us. And uh, uh, in three years that they've lived in that house, three adult cougars in their yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not acceptable. Yeah, I mean, that's my, a little close. My granddaughter plays, and it, granted, obviously they're in a in a habitat area, but uh, yeah, three adult cougars in their yard, and um, three different adult cougars, not the same one. So, uh, yeah, that's too many. So here's what's frustrating to me, Ryan. The they'll tell you, you know, that the the hounds and trapping were taken away from us by initiative, and that that that's off the table. We're not going to get that back. Um, yeah, we're not going to get that initiative reversed um, due to the, the voting landscape that we already discussed and the population imbalance. But uh, have you lived in Washington long enough? Did you ever have a chance to vote for $30 car tabs? I voted for those twice mm-hmm. um, by initiative. Um, have you renewed your tabs lately? Did you pay 30 bucks? Uh, they seem to have gotten away around that one, haven't they? Mm. So it's it's frustrating to me that they uh they're you know there are and i'm not saying we'll never get just um go buy a license and go hound hunting back but no uh, that will not happen i no. i agree with you that that's 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 off the table pretty much for good though man i do agree with all the people who say that you know if there was a special version of hunt for that and yeah. I did just want to put out there because it was something I was thinking about the other day. You know, I hunt a certain way and I've, uh, as a hunter had certain uh, opinions about how, like certain hunting styles. And I'm like, sure. well, is that really fair chase or not? And I've never participated in a hunt that I initially thought, well, maybe that's not super fair chase or maybe that doesn't, you know, apply. I've never participated in one of those hunting methods be that you know baiting or hunting with dogs or whatnot i've never participated in one of those and come away from it like oh yeah i was totally right that is that is totally cheating there there's not a guarantee and every single type of hunt is going to have its own quirks that are going to require the hunter to really understand their species and their their target and how to influence behavior or how to capitalize on behavior to be successful as a hunter period um and that in my opinion is the epitome of fair chase that you actually have to outsmart the animal you're dealing with 
So no, I, I, I don't think baiting is not a fair chase method. I think in the case of bears, it would be great if we could, because that's going to give people more of an ability to target boars, which is great sure. for the species. Sure. Yeah. Same goes with hounds. Anything that's going to help you encounter more of the animal or see the animal for longer. I know that's in spring. That was one of my points was that in spring, because of the areas the bears are in, you have the ability to see them for significantly longer. So you can field judge the animal and only go sure. after boars. Whereas sure. in the fall, you're probably going to run into them in the thick of it and not have not very much time to make your decision, which is not good for a lot of reasons. Right. And same goes for now the now uh, there was recently a meeting where one of the anti-hunting groups, I think it was Narn in this particular case, presented data on electronic calls or calls in general, saying that our wildlife agents shouldn't use calls to call an animal back into a kill site when there was a de depredation because they could call, you know, the wrong animal in and it was completely indiscriminate. And I was thinking to myself, the discriminating factor is the person with the rifle. Sure. The 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 yeah. person holding that gun who's probably seen trail cam footage of the animal that is their target species that did the thing in the first place is going to be the one who decides whether or not that's their target. So I don't buy the non-discrimination piece of calling at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, well, it we have like... to do something to make them afraid of it. I mean, yeah. I've had, I was Kevin Heffert one time and I go down to uh, check. There was a couple that were Kevin and I came in ate dinner and went back and checked on them. And, and there's a cougar watching them from like 30 feet away. And I can't chase it off. It's not afraid of me. Mm. Um, and and I, like I told you earlier, I've not encountered wolves, but I, my friend that works for the Broughton Company, he has. And I mean, he's been surrounded by them up there in, in their cows around a water hole and, and you can't chase them off. I mean, they're just lurking in the brush behind you. That's, they're not afraid of you. So whether that's, you know, back to the cougars, whether you do that with hounds or, or shooting one once in a while, they got to at least be afraid of you. Yeah. We have turkeys are a huge problem here. I, I, uh, I am so annoyed by turkey and they, uh, we feed, I, I feed, uh, uh, cattle grain when COVID hit and there was no meat in Costco, people just freaked out and my phone rang off the hook. And so we actually sell three beefs a month. Um, since then uh, to our local butcher, um, to any, anybody that, that calls and wants. Um, anyways, I feed those by with buckets by hand and I typically pack the buckets into the barn couple days worth of feed at one time because my son's allergic to barley so i pack it in there so he can at least feed him anyways uh, the turkeys will eat will get inside my barn and eat three inches of grain out of the top of each of the buckets and i can Holy go in there cow. caught them by hand before and i've thrown rocks at them can't chase them away they're just annoying and and then yet i, I listened to um over the weekend i think your most recent podcast and i don't remember the gentleman that you interviewed although i enjoyed it Anyway, it was either you or him mentioned um, if you walk in the forest like a man, they're probably going to notice you that you're a man, you know? Oh, that's uh, Ray Livingston. There I you go. Yeah. yeah awesome. I, enjoyed, I enjoyed that. Anyways, uh, I had a friend that, that had a turkey tag, want to come shoot a turkey. I said, oh, yeah, show up, meet me at seven o'clock. Said I can't chase him away. I throw rocks at him. He shows up and I mean, he never got a shot. And I can't chase him away. <laughs> I, I said, you just got to go in there like you're feeding cows. You can't go in there like you're hunting. 
And I thought of that when you when I was listening to your podcast. Yeah, he's he's walking in like a hunter, and I'm walking in like a like a chore boy. Yep. Um, yeah. it's funny. I have the same interaction with turkeys on my property. I I love turkeys, and I actually manage my property to increase my turkey numbers in a lot of cases. Which... Apparently, so do I. But for <laughs> but on <not> accident. <laughs> that's that's hilarious but no i uh i've I've noticed that same correlation where if i'm walking around in my plaid shirt and just whatever the turkeys look at me and be like oh that's farmer ryan but i grab a shotgun and and put on the camo which i think is only fair at this point it's it's fair chase they they take one look at me and like oh it's that time of year (laughs) yeah the old old scene in bambi man is in the forest (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh but no, that's that's true. I think we need to be able to instill that same sort of attitude in turkeys. Uh or sorry, no, not in turkeys. Uh we need to be able to instill that same sort of attitude in uh cougars and bears and yep. um wolves even yep. just because they it, it, for their sake too that sure. you know, nobody n- nobody anti-hunter and hunter can agree on this that nobody wants these animals to end up in a landfill because they had a conflict incident where they like hurt some eight-year-old girl nobody wants that and and nobody wants the conflict incident where the the animal ends up in the landfill because it was raiding somebody's garbage or whatever like that's that is an unacceptable outcome and that's something that we can all work together on avoiding and a big piece of that is letting the animals know that being near our places being in our structures is dangerous to them not cool yeah like at a certain point you know i'm not going to go into a wolf den yeah no (laughs) they they can have that territory they can have it it's theirs You know, I'm not going to go into a bear cave. I'm not going to, I say that, but I'll like crawl through some of the most bear thick country, but I wouldn't go yeah. like directly into the cave. But the point is, you know, there's a sensibility that needs to be put in their mind that is going to help keep them safe too. But I think that's probably a pretty good note to end on. I know you're a busy guy. I have uh, kept a lot of your time. If somebody wants to buy one of your beef, how would they do that? Uh, you know what? Find me or my daughter-in-law, Sierra, on Facebook. That'd be the Cool. Well, Marty, yep. thank you so much for your time. It has been a pleasure speaking to you, and I hope likewise. to do it again sometime. Yeah, likewise, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs>